the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. You know, it's really kind of the definition of of adolescence. Do you feel uncomfortable in your body and socially awkward? Well, that's adolescence. Now, there are those who truly deal with, you know, gender fluidity issues, whether whether we call it gender dysphoria or whatever people want to call it. There are those few, but there is such a surge. And I find what's interesting, uh, Ryan, you've been talking about this with your book all the way back to 2018. There are more whistleblowers coming forward. One that I think is super compelling is Jamie Reed, who describes herself. She's worked in this field, transitioning for children at Washington University School of Medicine in Missouri, describes herself as a lesbian married to a trans man, I think it is, and, you know, left of Bernie Sanders. But she was stunned by the sudden explosion of those that she she would say are not actually dealing with that issue. It's more of what she would call a social contagion. Now, I know that's going to be unpopular and people are going to, you know, attack for using that term. You know, since you wrote your book in 2018, there has been this acceleration, this absolute explosion, especially amongst young women, which I find interesting. Are you surprised by that? And what do you think is pushing it, even from the point that you wrote your book? Oh, yeah. Great question. I'm not surprised at all. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, a couple of things to say there. One, I think it's great that more and more um, non-conservatives, non-Christians, um, you know, kind of non usual suspects are speaking out against this. Yes. Um, when, when I wrote my book, the book came out February of 2018. That means I was researching and writing the book all throughout 2017 and, you know, partly into 2016. We had just lost the Obergefell case, mm-hmm. and there were very few people who were willing to speak out against um, transgenderism, very few people willing to say, wait a minute, like, you know, the T is not like the LGB we should have, you know, deep caution about what's going on, especially with children, what's going on with uh, women's spaces, uh, mm-hmm. bathrooms, locker rooms, jails, what's going on with women's sports, right? Um, what's going on with children, et cetera, et cetera. But so many people thought, wait, we lost the gay marriage debate. Uh, if I speak out on this, we're just going to lose. I'm just going to pay a professional cost. And that was amongst conservative Christians. But then you also had you know, kind of secular liberals who knew better, but said, oh, wait, like, it's only conservative Christians who are concerned about this. I was an ally on gay marriage. I was an ally on LGB issues. I I have to be in favor of transgender equality, transgender rights. I have to be in favor of the T as well, right? And so President Biden says transgender rights are the human rights of our error. Hmm. Now, what's happening now is that five years later, um, from when the book first came out, we have more and more people who are saying, wait, that's not the case. You don't need to be a conservative Christian uh, to see that it's a bad idea to perform a double mastectomy on a, on a 15-year-old girl. Yes. Right? It's a bad idea uh, to be doing these procedures. 
And, and I think, look, we should be in the convert business, and mm-hmm. we should also be in the alliance business. We don't have to agree on everything right. to be able to form an alliance and do a political cultural partnership where we do agree. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we should be clear eyed about the limitations of that, right? Lots of the people who I partner in opposing um, uh, uh, a kind of um, transgender ideology, they disagree with me about marriage. They disagree with me about abortion. And we mm-hmm. have to you know, be willing to agree to disagree and then go our separate ways on working on those issues. But I don't think um, uh, this is an issue that we can win on our own, and therefore we're going to need to make these partnerships. Yeah. Um, second part of but, the question was about you know the, 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 and, the and wait, of, no one you know, thing right and oh, one thing ahead. one thing right I want to I want to absolutely agree with that because one of the most interesting group of women that I've interviewed on my show are actually from the Women's Liberation Front Wolf which they are self described radical liberal feminists many of them lesbians and certainly we don't agree on the vast majority of things but they talk about everything that they fought for as feminists as being erased whether it's Title IX sports or safe places for women and girls or or even the very very identity of women themselves. What does it mean now? So just wanted to put a, a punctuation mark on that. So th- your answer to the second part of the question about the, the speed of yeah, this. No, yeah, you, and, and you're exactly right. The, the, the women involved in Wolf are wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I hosted some events with them and I quote them in the book. And Great. they're courageous. They, they are. one of the first groups speaking out. And then they were being attacked by all the other feminist groups. That yep. they, they were the only ones willing to say that... Uh, Jenner is not a woman, mm. and he shouldn't have won the Woman of the Year award. Right, and you know, so many other uh, women's groups went along with it. Um, in terms of like the young people, and specifically the explosion that we see, it's a four thousand four hundred percent explosion oh my in goodness. young girls and women. And I think, look, we have a culture that is very inhospitable uh, to women and girls. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about all the unrealistic expectations that we place upon. Um, uh, our daughters that we place upon young women. And we, what we now see is that whereas historically gender dysphoria was primarily um, associated with little boys, like pre-pubertal boys or mm-hmm. middle-aged men, now we have a bunch of high school and college-age women and girls who seem to be simply opting out of, um, of their femininity, of their female mm-hmm. identity. And that doesn't necessarily mean they're opting in to a male or a masculine identity. This is where you see part of the rapid onset gender dysphoria is the increase in non-binary right. identities, gender right. ambidextrous identities. They're simply saying, I want nothing to do with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, some of them have been victims of sexual assault. Some of them have been um, vi- victimized and exploited in other ways. And frequently this, um, uh, just from kind of anecdotal reports and from, you know, um, we don't have large data set, but we do have kind of like case studies it seems that this is part of a coping mechanism. This is part of a self-protective uh, response to a very inhospitable culture. Well, it's it's interesting that you say that because we're also in a culture right now that is really hyper-sexualizing children. It seems to me everything that was being fought for earlier for women to be treated with respect and, and all of that has really been turned on its ear. And then I also think at the same time we have so... We have so narrowed what it means to be feminine or what it means to be masculine. I mean, I grew up and I wanted to be like my three older, three older brothers and I wanted to be Superman and I wanted to wrestle. You know, it just was because I, I looked up to them. If I were in the situation today, they would say, aha, you have gender you know, dysphoria, et cetera. You're actually transgender. And, you know, 
as as time went along, I just ended up realizing, no, you can be a you can be a woman and you can go hiking and you can, you know, uh, be all of these different things, athletic. And then I ended up, you know, going all the way to Miss America. It was a very odd thing today. Raising a daughter in this world, she's being told left and right that femininity is so narrow that if you're anything outside of this tiny little spectrum of usually which is pretty hypersexualized, then guess what? You're actually transgender. It's it's gone backwards. It is so regressive when it comes to women. Uh, so I appreciate you bringing up that that situation. Um, you know, I wanted to also ask you this because I know your time is limited. You've got so much going on um, in your book. You very compassionately, and I just want to keep repeating that because this is not about, you know, judgment or this is about being compassionate to those who are dealing with issues. You compassionately talk about those who have detransitioned and you share some of those stories. There's actually a woman in Colorado that testified in front of the uh, House hearing in December. She runs Inside Out Youth Services, and she actually said, well, I've never basically met someone who detransitioned, so it's not a thing. I mean, she denies it because in her tiny little community, she doesn't see it. Why don't you, if you could, share a little bit about some of those stories? Because this is, I think this is where this is going to be heading, sadly, in the next five to ten years. Well, that's exactly right. Um, So um, chapter three of the book um, just reports on a bunch of those stories. And they were all um, testimonies that, you know, I found. uh, Because, you know, again, this is back doing the research in 2016, mm-hmm. 2017, these were people who were, um, they had blogs, they had YouTube videos, they had other kind of like self-published accounts of what their experience had been uh, transitioning and then five, ten years later regretting it and mm-hmm. detransitioning. Mm-hmm. All right, now five years, you know, after the book came out, you know, we're now in 2023, there are tons of people like this. Right. Uh, people like Chloe Cole mm-hmm. um, who are speaking out publicly, right, who are suing their doctors. Right. Um, there, there was a lawsuit in the U.K. where, um, you know, the, the, the trial court actually ruled in favor of um, the young lady who, who, who had had the double mastectomy, and they actually put a stop to this in the U.K. until an appeals court overruled it. Now I don't know what the status of the next level mm-hmm. of appeal is. Um, but these, these are um, any one of our listeners, you know, as, as soon as they were at home tonight and, you know, got on the computer – they could do a simple Google search, a simple um, YouTube video search, um, and, and just type in detransition or testimony. Right. Uh, several of these um, very courageous young women have appeared on Tucker Carlson's show, mm-hmm. and they're not even Republicans. Right. They're not even conservatives. And what they say is, like, you've given me something that no left-leaning cable news host will, and that's a platform. Right. right? No one on MSNBC or CNN will have me on so that I can share my story, so that I can share my testimony, and you, Tucker, have, even though we may not agree on anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I just think it's going to be important that uh, people familiarize themselves with these stories, because these are very courageous young, uh, uh, frequently young women um, who are, you know, speaking out in a way that, and it's very personal, because imagine if you, 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 you come to realize you made a mistake like this, right? You, you thought you were, quote, trapped in the wrong body, or you thought that Taking testosterone, having the mastectomy would bring you happiness, wholeness, mm-hmm. healing. And you convince your family to go along with this. You convince your friends to go along with it. And then five years later, you, you have to admit you made a mistake. Right. Right? I mean, there, this is something where you're exactly right to say nothing but compassion, nothing but um, support. Because 
there can be intense emotions of guilt and of shame and of embarrassment. And, and so it's really important that we don't do anything to, to stigmatize or to marginalize or to belittle or, or to, you know, exacerbate. You know, it, there's, there's just so many emotions mm-hmm. that are going to have to be processed. Here. Yeah. We... Um, and, and so, I, I, you know, it's just a word of caution to, to, you know, these are people who who have gone through a lot of suffering yeah. and they need love. They need support. They do. They do. You you had a, a mention that I saw where, you know, a, a woman talked about what it was like to actually lose her voice because, you know, there's a lot of people that are under the impression that this, you know, hormone treatment and puberty blockers is somehow reversible. Uh, in fact, you know, I heard from a parent that said, oh, no, this is all reversible. Well, there's some of it that is not reversible. And this young woman saying, not only did I really lose, you know, in a double mastectomy, to me, my breasts, and I can never, you know, take care of my children in that way now that I realize I want them. My voice is literally gone the way it was meant to be. Um, question for you, Chloe Cole. I, I think that this case is really going to be huge because she has had the courage to stand up, not blame her parents because parents are often railroaded into these decisions when they're told you either do this or your child will commit suicide. I hear horror stories. That's what they're told. So what would any caring parent do? Well, I want my child to live. I don't want that. So, okay, I'll go along with it. So Chloe is not blaming her parents. She's suing the doctors that did not have informed consent, that rushed her through the process. What do you think will be the outcome of this? Because I think this can, if she is successful, it can really slow down this absolute breakneck pace at which many doctors are pushing children through this. Um, what impact do you think it will have? I mean, I think the, 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 the initial impact and the immediate impact is going to be if you are an insurance company that mm-hmm. insures one of these hospitals, or if you are the lawyer, the general counsel for one of these hospitals, you're saying to yourself, sort of liability exposed to, mm-hmm. and are we willing to put the oncology wing of our hospital, right? So the cancer treatments that our hospital does, are we willing to put that at risk because of the pediatric gender clinic at our hospital, right? If we get sued because of that, are we going to have to pay such a giant settlement that it might actually jeopardize, you know, innovation, cutting-edge research on cancer that we're doing. Or, I mean, I, I think that this could be, um, if it's successful, a major breakthrough. And even yes. if it, I mean, in the meantime, even if it's not successful, I think any prudent lawyer or, you know, insurance company, they're saying, could we be next? Mm-hmm. And even if this lawsuit's not successful, maybe the one against us will be successful. And what sort of liability are we on the line for Absolutely. I totally agree with that. Well, before I let you go, I just want to repeat one statistic that you shared. You said there's been a 4,400% explosion in young girls transitioning. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that statistic. It's from oh, the wow. United Kingdom. Because I mean, So one of the nice things about having, you know, kind of a um, uh, uh, single-payer government-run yeah. healthcare <laughs> system is you have really good data on this. Right. And they had, it was the Tavistock Clinic, so it was one clinic in particular wow. that handled um, uh, all the, the pediatric gender medicine, and they said it was a 4,400% increase in the number of young um, girls and women who were wow. presenting for uh, these treatments. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. 
It's America's most unique graduate leadership program offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.